with two seconds left in the game, the Mavs had a 1.3% chance to win. But you never tell Luca the odds. You never tell Skin Wade the odds. This is numbers on the boards. You never tell us the odds, even though we do love numbers and we do love boards. But Skin, that Grayson Allen rebound was cursed because unfortunately that man missed both free throws. He made the mistake of giving Luka a chance to win the game, and by God, Luka delivered. It's a celebration, Skin. It sure is. He went full Han Solo, got him out of the asteroid field in glorious fashion in what was a playoff-style win. I don't want to say it was a must-win, but then you start going, oh, you lose that game, what are you going to win, 15 in a row? It was a very critical game, and it reminded me, Bobby, I was having a conversation with someone a week or so ago where they're expressing dissatisfaction about the plays we were getting at the very end of games. Like, you know, Hey, there's a second left or 1.3 left, which those are always, as you pointed out, terrible odds. But last night proved why a lot of times it's just do whatever you can to get the ball in Luca's hands and see if he can create some magic. And he did an incredible shot. And then uh, the post game is filled with people having to explain that Luca spends practice time on chaos. So just awesome, uh, beautiful win. And then uh, it, it kind of gets you excited about, man, what are we going to see over the course of the next 10 to 15 years? Because that was special stuff. He really does practice that stuff. So, I mean, I know a lot of people that listen to this show might not even live in Dallas. Many of them might not even live in the U.S. And so it's very difficult for people to get to Mavs games. But – if you are lucky enough to get to a Mavs game, you want to get there early to see Luca warm up. He usually goes out there, I don't know, maybe between like 70 to 50 minutes left on the clock uh, before the game starts. He's on the floor doing his thing with Jamal Mosley, and they just go spot to spot and just shoot. And every time Luca gets to the next spot, he just throws up some crap like that, you know, just for fun. But I got to thinking about that last night, and I'm like, well, if he does that every time he goes to practice – and every time he warms up for a game and has done that for the last 10 years or whatever, that's like hundreds and hundreds and hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of shots that he's practiced. So like, even though he's just goofing off and having a good time, like he kind of has been preparing for that moment, <laughs> like his whole career. It's it. You, you kind of get into these abstract concepts where someone's, you know, harp likes to use the phrase he's built for this, you know, and then you start breaking that down. And what does that really mean? Well, what it means is that he has a feel for that. And part of it is probably inherent or DNA or genetic or something like that. But part of it, too, is he's taken the time to get a feel for that. And so those those forces combine. And, you know, you get into this whole idea of what is a quote unquote lucky shot. Well, I've always kind of taken issue uh, with that because to me a lucky shot is when you make a pass and it bounces off someone's head and goes in if you're trying to put the ball in the basket no matter how difficult it is then to me that reduces the element of luck because you're actively trying to manifest that ball going through that basket so you know there I, I'm not trying to you know be hokey or anything but there is something to someone with that feel for that world trying to do something that seems lucky or impossible to other people, but it's not to him because that's the position he's put himself in. Yeah. There's like entire highlight reels of Larry bird hitting just trick shot after trick shot 
on YouTube. Stuff from behind the backboard after the whistle blows. Like, Luca does this stuff in games all the time. Like, after the whistle blows, he always chucks up 70-footers. Like, he's he just messes around constantly. And uh, last night, he, he messed around and hit a game winner. Yeah, and look, you, I, this would never happen in a game. But this this is what this reminded me of. I, I When I was growing up, I spent so much time in my driveway, you can't imagine. I mean, I spent probably more time in my driveway than I spent in my bedroom when I wasn't sleeping. And our my dad had put of the basketball goal. It wasn't on the back of the house. It was on a pole so that it could create more driveway space. And so we had a little side yard going through a fence and there was this, uh, a brick walkway that started at the edge of my driveway, which would be the baseline of where my, my basket is. And it did a 90 degree, it went about six feet, then went a 90 degree angle back out away from the basket through a fence. And I bet I have spent in my lifetime anywhere between growing up 20 to 25 hours shooting baskets from that brick walkway to the other side of a fence. Because, not because, you know, I thought it was going to help me in a game, but when you're there and that's all you're doing, you start exploring other things. It's just natural and and you become, you know, one with that environment or whatever. And I'm saying that to say that as good as Luca is, it's clear that he, he did he did very little else besides play basketball. And so if you're there in the gym, you're going to shoot your free throws and you're going to shoot your around the world, you know, baseline 45 degrees straight on 45 degree baseline. You're going to do your mic and drill. You're going to, you're going to do all that stuff. And then you don't necessarily leave. Then you start practicing all the other. And so I'm, I'm, you know, giving this long winded analogy to say that what he did last night was amazing and low percentage, but it was no, by no means blind luck. Absolutely. Absolutely. And I, I do want to return back real quick to that 1.3% chance. That is from a, a website called Unpredictable, which is awesome. It is a great website uh, for all sports, but especially for basketball. Uh, in my very humble opinion, Skin, they just they have a lot of like live win probabilities. Um, they have they give games scores based on like the excitement, the tension, uh, the 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 degree of comeback. Um, and Luca last night, cumulatively throughout the game, his actions added up to adding 90. I, I'm explaining this like an idiot because I am one, but uh, he his contributions to the game added like a 93% chance that the Mavs were going to win. Think about it that way. So if it's like 100%, he's giving like 93% himself. Now, that's cumulative over the course of the game. That one shot added like whatever 90% chance to win once Grayson Allen misses those two free throws so it's like a one in uh, a one in what would that be one in 10 chance to win the game from there um but that also includes things that happened before that moment and right before that play he missed a free throw like he had a chance to make it a one point game he clanged one uh with with three seconds left Grayson Allen gets the rebound and then right before that too so I watched the games um, on Fox Sports Go, and which is like a minute and a half-ish behind real time. And so typically I can find out what's going to happen before I see it. I, I just go to NBA play-by-play and kind of follow it on there too for stats and everything. And I saw in the play log, uh, the Mavs got a rebound. I think someone missed a shot for Memphis. Luka gets the ball with 22 seconds left. 
and doesn't do anything with it, gets fouled with 12 seconds left. And I'm thinking, all right, that's really weird. Like, that must be a typo. Something must have happened. That was a foul to give. And then he dribbled nine more seconds off the clock and got fouled again with three seconds left to get those free throws, and he missed one of them. And so I'm thinking, like, dude, Luca, what are you doing, man? You wasted 19 seconds on the game clock for one point in a game where you're down three. Like, what is going on? Like, this this late-game stuff is just really, like, it's just adding up. And then all of a sudden, you know, he hits the game winner, and, and he looks like a genius. But, like... It just kind of goes to show you, I mean, like, normally whenever you whenever you get a 1-in-100 win like they did last night, it's because everything goes perfectly for you, but, like, nothing went perfectly for them really until Grayson Allen went to the free throw line. Like, they, they truly, really did escape with their lives Houdini style. Yeah, no, that's a great point. There's a lot more about last night's game that was frustrating than uh, reinforcing. And, 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 and the fashion of the great Randy Galloway, what he used to say, uh, Dirk saves all butts. Luca saved his own butt. He was very, um, he made a lot of mistakes in the final minute of that basketball game. Uh, And, you know, they don't get talked about because of the Houdini act that you referred to. But yeah, there's a lot of things that are going on that I'm sitting there going, what am I watching right now? Why in the hell is this happening? Um, And, you know, we've talked about over the course of the last year and a half some of the late game issues that the team has had there's a lot of late game issues last night that got glossed over because he pulled out Luca Magic but there were a lot of late game triumphs as well Uh, not just limited to a shot Dwight Powell great rebound on the missed free throw by Grayson Allen I just want to point that out I don't believe he was on the block he was the third rebounder and he somehow swooped in and got that and then also Luca swallowed that John Morant drive hole with a minute 18 left. Dallas was down five. If Morant makes that shot, it's almost impossible to win at that point. You're down seven with a minute left, and Luca Luca blocked it, got the board. They went down, and they scored, I think. So a uh, really, really nice play there. And then, of course, the shot. And I've gone back, and wa- everyone has watched it 50 times. This doesn't make me unique. But the one thing I do notice on that play when I rewatch it is – couple things so Dylan Brooks Memphis like appears to be in some type of like zone kind of I don't really know exactly what's going on but like they're not really manning up at the beginning of the play and then as Dallas starts to move they sort of amoebously form their way into kind of a man-to-man Dylan Brooks ends up on Luca as he gets the inbound pass and he steps way out and gets right in Luca's face and to me that signaled even going back and rewatching it I'm thinking Either he thinks Luca's going to catch and shoot right away, or he is sitting on the step back. Like he's not going to let Luca catch it and take a dribble forward and rock back. He's going to get right in Luca's face. And if Luca wants to step back, it's going to have to be a 45 footer, basically. But because Brooks lunged out so far, Luca was able to just. I don't know how he had the presence of mind and the vision to see that this was happening, but he caught the ball and immediately dribbled forward through where Brooks was before Valanciunas could slide over and get in Lucas' face as well. And so he basically split the double team before the double team even happened. And it was only possible because Brooks has seen Luca crossing over Reggie Jackson and Luca crossing over uh, Aaron Neesmith from the Celtics to hit those two game winners on the step back three from that same exact spot so many times. Every time he turns on NBA on TNT or ESPN or NBA TV or logs into Instagram or Twitter or whatever, that shot is everywhere. And so he knows that's what Luca wants to do. But because he tried to take it away, Luca beat him. Like Luca got an even better shot. 
Yeah, I, I think you're right. I, I'd sort of assume that the second that he split the double team, they obviously didn't want to foul. Um, you know, and so that's, you know, and, and, and I'm, I'm this way too, you know, and I think about strategy and stuff is like, especially when people want to foul in certain situations, they go, well, you know, you can't let the, the three be, and I'm like, man, make someone make a ridiculous shot. That's the, that's the point of defense. I mean, obviously it'd be great to get a steal or block or whatever, but force some incredible player to have to make an incredible shot under a ridiculous situation. That's the basic underlying principles of defense. So obviously the second that he had the step, they knew not to foul. Like you don't want to just give overtime, right? Um, and it, it worked out to the Mavericks' advantage and Lucas' yeah. advantage. And another another key element of that play is Dorian Finney-Smith ends up standing basically at the elbow. I don't know if he did it on purpose, but he ended up setting a great screen on Grayson Allen because if he wouldn't have been there, Allen could have just stepped out and challenged Luka too. But instead, Finney-Smith was like a human shield. So nicely done all around. Uh, but as you were saying, there was some good, there was some bad last night. You know, we're seeing J.J. Redick shake off the cobwebs a little bit. Uh, we're seeing KP. I thought he had a really good game. He ended up with 21 points. Um, kind of 21 quiet points, which is weird. I, he had that big shot. You said on the broadcast it could have been a foul, which I agree. Uh, he had kind of like this sort of, I don't know, almost a Euro step, a seven foot three version of a Euro step around, I think it was Dylan Brooks to avoid a charge, which was a really crucial play at the time. And uh, he had a couple almost like bailout buckets in the fourth quarter too, or and maybe this was in the, the first half. I'm not sure, but there was just for so much of that game, Dallas wasn't really able to get stops or at least string stops together. And so like every basket that Dallas scored for really the final three quarters of that game was like, ooh, like just exhale and relax. Like every basket felt so big because they just kept on trying to chip away at this mountain that was not getting any smaller at all. But that's kind of what road games this time of year against playoff hungry teams are kind of all about, right? I mean, that's what we need to get used to seeing. Yeah, absolutely. And uh, we kind of hit the stat is one that Keeney had found um, where the Mavericks, I think, have the fourth best road record in the NBA against teams above 500. Yeah, and that was a great stat. It's a great stat. And if you look, they've also, of those leaders, they've played far and away the most games against teams on the road above 500. And it certainly underscores what you have to do in playoff environments, right? I felt like that was kind of like the underlying theme of that stat is – when it's a tough situation, you got to go in someone's building and take care of business. And they're, they, they've shown an inclination to be able to do that more often than not. And last night uh, was a good indication of that, even if they needed some cosmic uh, mojo to really get it across the, the goal line there. But that's a huge game for Memphis, too. You know, we focus on the Mavericks. That's a huge game for Memphis. Memphis really needed to get that win. Yeah, their upcoming schedule. Y'all talked about it on the broadcast, and I looked at it before the game. It is insane they got a seven game road trip coming up they got to play like milwaukee portland and denver twice each on the road very unusual too they stop in denver and then go to portland and then come back to denver on the way home it's like thanks for that nba i mean good god that is tough so it's gonna be uh it's gonna be wild down there uh i know like the 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 play-in game is a big talking point right now and I kind of want to get your take on it, unless you don't really want to talk about it. I don't know if, like, at this point, there might not be much to say anymore. But um, last night for me was a, a very good advertisement of why you don't want to be in the play-in game. Because, like, 
imagine if your season comes to an end or like is put on life support because Grayson Allen has like a career game. You know, I mean, that's what happens whenever you're in a winner go home kind of thing. Um, people compare it to the playoffs like, well, if you lose two games in a row, you don't deserve to go to a best of seven series. It's not it's not two games in a row. It's losing one game twice. Like anything can happen. It's one game. It's you don't you don't get a chance to adjust and come back for round two. It's over after that. And so you're opening yourself up to some March Madness levels of like Spike Albrecht comes off the bench and hits five threes in the first half and you're going to lose. Like that's just, that is what it is. So um, a really good advertisement for why avoiding the plane is a good idea if you can do that. Yeah. And I think too, uh, you know, I was having this conversation with a buddy of ours about the, the recent losses, the Houston loss and the San Antonio loss. And, you know, one, the Houston loss, I get it. It's pretty much, uh, you know, there's no excuse for it. Um, but if you look throughout the course of the year, there's a lot of great teams that have games like that against inferior opponents. It's the nature of the beast. I didn't have as much problem with the San Antonio loss because there was never a moment in that game where I felt like San Antonio was a bad team or they weren't competing or any of those things. And if you'd looked at the... You know, their five-game losing streak, they lost a couple overtime games, and they just lost to Denver by two points. And, you know, if DeMar DeRozan, one of the best players in the NBA, hits a, you know, game winner, well, you tip your hat. But what happened is, is January put the Mavericks in a position to where there's no room for error. And so the normal feelings you would get from losing a game at the buzzer to a competitive team or – having, you know, a bad night against Houston because you weren't dialed in after what they went five in a row leading up to that game. I mean, we're, we're, we're microcosming that game despite all the success leading up to it against far superior teams. But January wiped out their margin of error. And so that puts them squarely in this situation where they have to claw their way out of six. And while they have to claw their way out of six, they have to do it in an extra compressed schedule. Why? Because of January. And then also because of the, we lost two games to the deep freeze, right? So if you, if your second best player is a guy that you're trying to avoid back-to-backs, you're not going to have any back-to-backs in the playoffs. Okay. But you got to put yourself in a position to get to the playoffs. If you can get to six, not only do you get, the couple days while those teams are playing one another to, to rest up, it really does become like now's your playoffs uh, and, and avoiding that. It, it, the, the good thing for the Mavericks is that if they don't accomplish it, well, they do have the play in, which you don't want. But I look at that as that's the fail safe for not making the top six. And, and so they have to gear up like getting the sixth seed is their ult or the fifth seed if the Lakers tumble, which dude, the end of next week, how massive is that? Back to back games at the AAC against the Lakers. The Lakers are not losing right now. They just beat Brooklyn by 25, dude. Like they're just, they're doing more than treading water. It's crazy. They've t- they had the little down stretch and then they, they turned the thing around. And I suspect by the time we play them, Anthony Davis is going to, I don't know LeBron's status and all that. But I'm assuming both those guys are going to be back by the end of next week. I just don't fully know. I think you prepare like they are. Um, 
But how far is that going to go? How, how differently does everybody feel if you sweep the Lakers in those two games? And then conversely, how devastated is everybody if you lose both of those games while Portland wins? So there, you know, we get all caught up in the, the, the game of the day, but there's a lot of really monumentous moments that are going to define whether or not they're messing around with the 10 through seven situation. Yeah. And I mean, look, no matter what way you slice it, it's going to be unfortunate if they finish between seven and 10. Like at the beginning of the year, you and I both agreed top six, like you got to be top six because you don't want to put yourself in that situation where one off night or one, you know, you pull your hamstring and your season is over because of a 24 hour injury. Um, But a lot of things that are under their control and a lot of things that are out of their control uh, have gone wrong along the way. Yet they're still, I think, Number 10 in the NBA in record, uh, but that's not good enough in the West to get you <laughs> safely to the first round, which is just incredible. Like, you can't book safe passage if you're 30 and 24, uh, despite that being good enough for home court in the East. Meanwhile, I saw this from Tankathon this morning. Uh, Chicago is 22 and 32, which is good enough for the playing in the East. <laughs> 22 and 32. Me and Falwell were talking about this last night. I believe they are three and eight since trading for Vucevic. It's crazy, man. It's crazy. It's crazy. Yep. I think that they're going to figure that out. But the, the the problem is, dude, like we've said this so many times with the Mavs this year. When was the last time the Bulls practiced? You know? Right. Like maybe well, once you know, since the trade, maybe twice. You know what, Bobby? What you're saying is why right now, I mean, I don't know what's going to happen over the next month, but right now, if I had to put money down, Philly's coming out of the East. I'm sorry, Brooklyn's not going to dick off for seven months or whatever and then get it together and go win a championship. I realize they have more talent than the Clippers had last year, but the Clippers blowing off all those practices and never coming together, that showed up in the playoffs. I don't believe that Brooklyn's just going to show up, roll the ball, ball out, and get out of the East. Those, I mean – it's very clear in those two games we played, Philly is a effing monster. And there, and I'm you James Harden, my ass. Joel Embiid is the MVP of the East. We all know Luca's MVP of the universe. Joel Embiid is MVP of the East. And it's not a debate. It's not up for conversation. You're wasting my time with that crap. Because you can take James Harden off Brooklyn and they're still going to be favorites in the East. You take Joel and beat off the Sixers, they ain't going to score for three weeks. I just I, – I, I'm sorry, man. That guy's far and away the most valuable player of this season in the Eastern Conference. What he did in that game was Come so on. unbelievable. Did He, he have scored 15, in every single way possible. Dude, did he have 15 free throw attempts in 26 minutes? Is that what I witnessed? Come and on. he missed one. Dude. One. That guy's incredible. We have yeah. played – very few games this year where we weren't competitive. I can't remember off the top. I know it's fewer than five. Two of them were against those guys. Those guys are incredible. Yeah, yeah. They're really, really good. And also, while we're here talking about the Nets, uh, I don't know if you saw Skin. Did you see the LaMarcus Aldridge news? Yeah, that sucks, man. Uh, yeah. I hated to see that. You know, uh, I'm a fake UT fan because I flunked out of there so I can claim it. And, you know, he was dealing with that irregular heartbeat stuff his freshman year at UT. I don't know if you remember that. Yeah. Um, but he's a, he's a local guy from uh, Sigaville, as Christina Ray of the Ben and Skin Show likes to call it. And uh, he's had a very 
long distinguished career and was so good in Portland. And uh, obviously he was the guy I was worried about the most in 2011 when we played those guys. And so that's, uh, that's really bummer news, man. I hate that for him. Yeah. He had a long and great career though, man, you know, 15 seasons in the NBA, most of them very, very high quality. Um, he had some incredible playoff performances too. that 14 series against Houston. I think he had 40 points in back-to-back games to open that series. Just incredible stuff. So hats off to a great career, but yeah, unfortunately comes to, uh, to an end that he obviously didn't want, but you know, for, health comes first and foremost. Um, okay. I'm trying to think, look around the rest of Mavsdom. I know the, the Luca KP, are they bros or not thing is a big deal. Uh, do you want to talk about that at all? Or do you want to just <laughs> go yeah, in a different direction? I, mean, <laughs> I, I would, I would love to hear your thoughts on that. I, I have some strong thoughts on that, but I'd love to hear yours. Okay. Um, my thoughts on that. It's tough because we're not there. Um, and so the number of conversations I've had with people uh, that, don't have any reason to lie about stuff like that is like I can count on one hand since the draft uh, because we're just not there and so in the same way that a lot of fans are just using what they see on TV or hear in interviews or whatever uh, as evidence we're kind of doing the same thing Um, the way I see it really is I think they've made really really good strides and important strides on the court Um, last season the Mavs are using KP a lot as a power forward before the Dwight Powell injury uh, this season, he's uh, used a lot more as a center, uh, which means that there's a lot more Luka KP action. Um, but teams are defending them a little differently now, and so it does mean sometimes the guy that's on KP is not the guy that you want to have switched onto Luka, so you have to go other directions. So that's just the on-court stuff, but it feels like they're linking up a lot better and they have a better understanding of what the other wants to do, which is really, really important. Uh, as far as like their personal relationship, again, I have no idea. Uh, how that goes. I know they're very different people. Uh, they have very different interests. KP loves boxing. Luca loves watching Real Madrid basketball. You know, so like, I don't know how many shared interests they have. Um, but I don't think that there's like some inner hatred that they feel for one another or anything like that. I think, uh, you know, they both probably would love to average 50 a game. Uh, and they're both only averaging, what, 20, 25 points a game or something like that. Um, but I don't, I don't really sense any sort of like toxicity between them or like, you know, jealousy even like, I know people are like Zapruder filming KP's reaction to Lucas game winner last night. And whether that's warranted or not, I guess is really up to, up to the fans. We'll let them decide. But, um, I don't feel like it's some sort of like situation that needs to be repaired or anything like that like I just think they're just two guys that you know they get along fine and they're both really really good at what they do um and it's not like a Shaq Kobe thing that's gonna just like destroy the whole atmosphere and cost them multiple championships or anything like that like I think that they're just two dudes that love basketball that are uh you know having a good time and that they're trying to figure it out but I don't know maybe that's way too rosy and maybe I'm just a huge idiot. But again, I'm just going based off what I know about them individually, what I know about them together, and the very limited information that I know about them based on what I've seen with my own eyes and less so than in any other year since I've been around this thing, what I've heard from people that know more than me. 
Yeah. Okay. So you're, you're hitting on a lot of the things that I, I was going to hit on as well and thinking about, and I, I think you're, uh, you know, I think you're grounded in what you're saying. I, I will preface this, this is the same thing, uh, you know, me and Ben on the Ben and Skin show were talking about when we were doing uh, Porzingis trade rumors that, that popped up a month ago. Remember all that crap that everyone overreacted to? Yeah. And I wanted to preface it by saying, I know less about the inner workings of this Maverick team than of any Maverick team over the last 10 years because of the way NBA protocol works. And my distance from the team is more than it's been in a decade. So I'll, you know, I need to put that out there and say, this is what I'm basing this on. Um, secondly, I have talked to people that would, that have access and they have not told me one thing, not one single thing that worries me at all about the future of those two people. And that's not even, uh, I'll just put it to you like this. Before I had the job that I have now, my perception of what happens inside sports organizations is 180 than what I know it to be now that I've seen firsthand and had more access to people than I used to have. And so the, the, the stuff that people don't know, I mean, it's just amazing to me when I see these reactions, I'm like, man, you are so far off base. And even last night I have people on Twitter sending me images of Porzingis not celebrating. And then they show the baseline camera angle and I'm like, oh, I guess Dwight Powell and Willie Colley Stein hate Luca too, because the three of them are standing there smiling. So I, you know, you, you can imagine and trump up based on your own experiences or whatever your relationship is with your neighbor or your coworkers in the cubicles or, you know, your friend group or your fantasy league. You can project all your own life onto these athletes all you want. What I've learned from the access I've been lucky to have is that it's way different it's way, way different than whatever people perceive. And conversely, every person I've talked to that used to play NBA basketball about this looks at me like I'm asking them the dumbest question of all time. They're like, what, what are you even talking about? Everybody in an NBA locker room, for the most part, has some degree of alpha characteristics. And everybody in that locker room wants the ball at all times that's the nature of the beast they wouldn't have gotten to that level I mean obviously there's exceptions I don't think TJ McConnell is like I have to take every shot some guys know their roles but all those guys came up being the, the best of the best and so you know uh, I, I've heard Hart tell stories about what does Rolando Blackman think and what does Mark Aguirre think and what does Roy Tarpley think and what does Sam Perkins think and he's the guy bringing the ball up I remember reading some stories about uh, Brandon, the old point guard for the Timberwolves, where at one point he walked into a locker room and said, I'm not listening to any motherfuckers ever again. I've got the ball and I'll do what I'm supposed to do with it. Everybody shut up because all these guys want the ball. And so then you kind of go to, all right, well, what, uh, what is it that would cause these young people to have irreparable problems? Like we're all scarred from the three J's, right? Well, I would put a big part of the blame on that, quite frankly, on Dick Mata, because, you know, at that point in his career, Dick Mata no longer had the energy for the fight. He quite literally, they rolled the ball out. I don't know if anybody ever has gone back and watched those basketball games, bro. It was, it was chaos. 
it was chaos. Dick Monin no longer had the stomach for the fight. I'm not criticizing him. It's very normal for a person that age to not want to deal with 20 year old millionaires. So if there is some sort of problem in their personalities or the essence of who these people are and it's clashing, I have confidence that this staff will rectify those problems. I just personally have not seen or heard anything that has led me to believe there's an issue that's not solvable. And quite frankly, my take on it is, is that it's not even problematic. And you're, you're talking about the dynamics of these personalities in any professional sports locker room or clubhouse is nothing like what the person on Twitter is freaking out about. It's just that's those worlds are so different. You can't project your life onto that world because it ain't that. Yeah, I kind of I kind of view it as like almost um, a developing project, right? Like Luca and KP figuring each other out. They're these young guys never really played together before. Didn't even really know each other all that well. Thrown thrown into this thing together. All right, let's figure it out. Well, last year was cut short. KP was hurt. Then Luca was hurt. Then KP was hurt. Then Luca was hurt. They only played. I don't I don't really even remember how many games they played. Like thirty or forty games together last year. Um, so not much this year, not much either. KP misses a bunch of time. Then he comes back and then the whole organization is having to figure it out because of COVID. So anyway, it's been a lot of like choppy waters that they've been sort of sailing through together. Um, but they only recently, I believe played their 82nd game together. So they've essentially had one full season of basketball. And so there is this huge feeling out period that everybody has to go through to say like, okay, what do I like? What do you like? on the floor, right? Where do I like to go? Where do I, where do I want the ball? Where do I like to be whenever I get the ball? Where are my spots? Where are your spots? How can we work together to make this happen? Especially if we're going to be running pick and roll together all the time, you're figuring out what if a big is guarding me? What if a wing is guarding me? What if a guard is guarding you? What if a wing is guarding you? What if we got a center on the floor? What if we're playing five out? Like there's all sorts of stuff on the floor that you have to figure out together. It takes a very, very, very long time. Personally, I feel like it's probably less important that you're like best friends. Certainly helps if you are. Um, but you're right about guys wanting the ball all the time. I mean, like, a lot is made about KP's comments of like, well, you know, I, I like being on the floor for longer stretches or I want the ball more early. Like, I, I you know, I want to get going. Uh, I want better shots, you know, all that stuff. Um, pretty natural to feel that way. He's not the only Mav that doesn't get frustrated whenever he doesn't get shots. Uh, you see, Luca has had some pretty famous reactions whenever guys take shots that that he would rather have himself. Um, frustration is pretty normal in sports. The Mavs during home games, they have I, I kind of have called it frustration station in my mind all year long. They have those two seats on the baseline behind the basket where guys go to sit down when they're pissed, like. Guys have an 0 for 5 start. They get subbed out. They go over there. They, you just need to be by yourself. You're mad. Like, Maxi Kleba checks out of games all the time. God love him. If he gets a bad foul call or if he's having a bad game, he'll slam his hand on the chair just out of – people get mad all the time. Like, this is really, 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 really normal. Even the biggest sweethearts, Boban, gets pissed off all the time. Like, this is a very intense profession – but it's an even more intense season because of the volume of games. These guys are spending all day, every day alone. Like there's nowhere to go. There's nothing to do. You have no way to like blow off steam. You're just in it together all the time. 
If I had to spend all my time with my family or with my best friends or with my coworkers, I would be mad all the time too. Like sometimes you just got to be able to do your own thing, but there's nowhere to go. So everybody is feeling frustrated all the time, including Luca, including KP, including Rick Carlisle. I'm sure they're mad at Rick Carlisle all the time about this or that. Like all these guys are mad about everything all the time. That's part of the whole deal. Like that's part of why coaching and why management has to manage these guys. That's why these guys have to manage themselves and they're all figuring it out as they go, which I feel like is a really beautiful thing, but it's also a very trying thing and a very tense thing. And there, there will be hiccups. There'll be missteps. Guys will get mad. Guys will let it be known that they're mad. That's just kind of the way things are in pro sports, especially in the NBA where players are pretty powerful, you know, and they, they can speak their minds with, with really no fear of recourse. Like, this is just how it is. So I don't really view it as a, as a problem. Um, but again, this is just my own perception of it. And, you know, I'm, I'm just one guy on the internet. So um, I don't really know. I mean, I just really don't know what else there is to say about it, to be honest. Man, I want to throw two things out because I love what you just said. And especially that last part. If you are a 25-year-old without a lot of life experience making $27 million a year and in a very visible position, you have a lot of power. Like you can do a lot of things. And when you really look at it like that, I don't even see how it's that big of an issue. Uh, There was a game, you know, doing these road games where we're not in the arena. Sometimes we kind of have to guess what's going on. There was a game where Tim Hardaway Jr. got a technical foul. And I thought he had got ejected because I saw him walking down the hallway. He just went to go vent. He was just living. Yes. And, And that happens you know, very, very frequently. And then also Brad Townsend wrote an article about this. And I had forgotten about this until he wrote it. We're like eight months, eight months removed from Kristaps Porzingis getting ejected from a playoff game because he ran to Luca's defense. Dude, if you don't like somebody, you ain't running to get in a fight for him. I don't care. You're not, you know? And so did, did the, the people that are creating these fantasy scenarios in their head where they're imagining whatever's happening on what they can't see, what do they think happened in the last eight months? Do they think Tony Braxton's daughter got inserted into this deal? I, I don't, you know, I just think it's probably an insatiable desire to feed off of drama uh, because I just, what I've seen so far that people are very worked up about is just pro sports 101. It's just very common. This shit happens. Yeah, but I think, I mean, a lot of it too is we've seen this happen so many times with duos and trios throughout the course of NBA history. All the time it happens. LeBron and Kyrie, very, very recent example. I mean, just a lot of times two alphas together or three alphas, whatever, they got to figure it out. And sometimes they're not able to do it. Just like sometimes star players leave. So I feel like everybody's on edge all the time because, you know, they we're just bracing for the worst because we're just naturally, I don't know, pessimistic people because we've just seen bad things happen all the time. But my, my advice and my, the way that I would handle that is like, just don't be that way then. Like, just don't, don't worry all the time about something that's not in your control because then you're going to be miserable. And it's like, I mean, it was like that way with Dirk too. Like I'd get all mad and bent out of shape whenever the Mavs would lose a single regular season game during Dirk's prime because I'm like, man, they need to be winning this game for Dirk or, you know, he's going to go to the Lakers or whatever. And then they won the title and I was like, man, I'm really glad I let myself enjoy that stuff, you know, and I wish I would have enjoyed the climb more because it would have made this moment even more beautiful had I like kind of relished in the losses, like cherish, cherish the missteps too, um, cherish the post game rants 
cherish all of like the cryptic KP comments because like if it does come out to be that they don't spend the rest of their careers together, then like it is what it is and it just happens. It was great entertainment along the way. But if they're able to figure it out and win seven championships or whatever, then like it's going to be pretty awesome that we saw them navigate the whole thing and 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 arrive to port safely, you know. So I, I just I don't know. It's just like a mindset, and I I've kept reinforcing that in my own mind too. Like Luca is just a, he's just a baby. He's just a child, you know. Like there will be problems with KP. There will be problems. Like it's just it is it's how it's going to be, but. It just makes it all the more rewarding whenever it finally works out in the end. And so that's just I, – I just want people to let themselves enjoy every every step of the way, even the bad ones, because it makes the, the end destination – it just makes it so much more special when you get there. I agree. And if you're one of those persons that really just thrives off of you know misery and angst and all those things, I get it. Do your thing. Uh, I've just – for my experiences, I just stopped following those people. Like the Maverick bloggers that are just mired in constant misery. Like, you know, I just don't want that in my life. And so it's real easy to just unfollow them and they can be miserable and I can go look at cat videos or whatever. Just be happy. Just enjoy it. Skin, I know you got a radio show that you got to prepare for here pretty soon, but is there any other, uh, the Ben and Skin show, which you can listen to uh, weekdays on the Eagle. Um, any other things that you want to, uh, any, whatever talk about hit on ask think about no i mean I, I i hate to look ahead but i'm just so uh fixated on what this is going to be like uh at this time next week prefer, preparing for back-to-back laker games but uh you know obviously the knicks are going to be tough tomorrow night and you know uh then yeah i think we have the kings on sunday so there's a long way to go to get to that but this is the fun time of the year this is when this stuff really really matters Every game, the stakes are high, but those Lakers games, you're right. They've been on a collision course for weeks now. I just cannot. I'm, I'm, I'm thinking about them when I go to sleep. I'm thinking about Anthony Davis and LeBron. It's very, it's disturbing, really. Uh, all right, good stuff, man. Thank you for taking the time to talk to me. He is Jeff Skin Wade. Uh, you can find more information on the Truth to Power project, by the way. A bunch of stuff came out about that recently. So uh, hit up Skin's timeline or Truth to Power project on Twitter. Um, and uh, learn more. We talked about Like a Ship before. They got more coming, baby. It's going to be awesome. Um, and uh, yeah, I guess one other thing for me to promote, we recently launched our Twitch channel. That is twitch.tv slash Dallas Mavericks. We did our first broadcast earlier this week. Me, Machine, uh, Jason Zone Fisher, and Maxi Kleba was our guest. Next week, we're doing another one. We got another player, man, that's going to join us, and it is going to be just as fun, if not even more fun. No offense, Maxi. Uh, he's Skin. I'm Bobby. This is Numbers on the Boards. And we'll see you next time.